There were some 600 marches for science on April 22, 2017. Not everyone understood the reason why. You know, I, I think his sort of feeling was, why do people feel that science is under attack? And, and I was kind of like, oh my gosh, <laughs> let's talk. <laughs> on this episode of the American Scientist podcast, we'll hear from three of our editors who each went to a different March for Science about their experiences with the March for Science and the next steps going forward. I'm Robert Frederick. In the highly spirited days just after the 2016 election, there was a growing concern that the scientific enterprise would suffer under the incoming administration. And on Inauguration Day, there were signals that science wasn't exactly on the forefront of our new president's mind. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. Every decision on trade, on taxes, on immigration, on foreign affairs will be made to benefit American workers and American families. The next day, January 21st, the Woman's March. Well, it inspired a lot of people in a lot of ways. And that included inspiring the March for Science. The idea for the march originated in a Reddit conversation. Someone saw what was happening shortly after the inauguration and the Women's March and, and said, we should have a, a march for science. Jamie Vernon is the editor-in-chief of American Scientist and director of communication for Sigma Xi, the scientific research honor society that publishes American Scientist magazine. He marched in Washington, D.C. And that triggered an, an explosion of commentary on Reddit, but then also that spilled over into Twitter and other social media platforms. And ultimately, someone picked up the ball. I think it was Jonathan Berman, who's at the UT Health Science Center in San Antonio, and created a web page. And that was the go-to place for everyone to, to sort of coordinate around this idea. The idea evolved, with some people suggesting it should be a march of scientists. Others suggested a march against anti-science-informed policies. Eventually, it settled into a celebration of science, a march for science and for science-based policies. Digital Features editor Katie Burke marched in Blacksburg, Virginia, home of Virginia Tech. One of the things that I think was unique about some of these more, more small rural marches is that uh, they started conversations that I hadn't seen happening before. Uh, for example, I was in a bar after the march ended and uh, somebody saw uh, my signs and asked me, you know, he, he was a soccer coach at a local school. And he was like, why are you marching? And one of the early criticisms of the March for Science was that it wasn't very inclusive, even in getting people organized. Again, Jamie Vernon. It, was, it broke my heart to see some of the people that were huge advocates in, in social media for women's issues and diversity and 
um, broader participation across the board uh, who just were turned off by what happened with the, the, the organization. I know people who didn't go to the, to the science march uh, despite uh, agreeing with its ideals because they were not happy with uh, the way the organizers dealt with, uh, with diversity and the way that they treated some of the people who were early on trying to help with the organization. Part of that was because the organizers were scientists, researchers, very capable people. And like most any capable person, we think we can figure out most anything for ourselves. Yeah, well, it's, it's us suffering from the same problem we're claiming that, that Congress suffers from, and that's uh, not taking into account the experts. Again, Jamie Vernon, Editor-in-Chief. Advocacy is a skill, and, and, and it's important to note that the three people who became the original co-chairs of the march had never done anything like this before. Uh, they're largely focused on their work and their research, and they saw an opportunity to bring people together around an issue they cared about. And definitely these organizers are more aware, and I've seen the, the team that they've put together post-march is very inclusive, and I think that we will make progress not only on the internal issues, but in the broader issues as well. And one of those issues came up in the Kids March in Boston, Massachusetts, where Fenella marched with her children, ages five and three. Fenella Saunders is the executive editor of American Scientist and a member of Sigma Xi. There were lots of science demonstrations for the kids, but the question, as Jamie put it to Fenella, is whether these types of demos are connecting the dots for those people who are on site. Yes, parents want their kids to be interested in science. They think that that's good for them. But do they connect that to policymaking and, and how science serves the public? Yeah, you know, it's interesting you should say that because definitely for the kids' demos, a lot of this is just, you know, kind of science is cool. Um, there were some that kind of tried to connect to the bigger picture, like with the kids making their own water filters or something like that. They definitely had more of a message. But I think that um, I'm wondering if there's a better way to connect the science is cool message to science is important. It's not easy. For example, science communicator Bill Nye is known for the science is cool message from his television show and videos. Let's do something fun. Come on. Come on. That's what I'm talking about. It's not rocket surgery, it's science. Here's how he addressed the marchers in Washington, D.C., focused exclusively on the science is important message. Our lives are in every way improved by having clean water, reliable electricity, and access to electronic global information. Each is a product of scientific discoveries, diligent research, and thoughtful engineering. These vital services are connected to policy issues, which can only be addressed competently by understanding the natural laws in play. Some may consider science the purview of a special or separate type of citizen, one who pursues natural facts and generates numerical models for their own sakes. But our numbers here today 
show the world that science is for all. Our lawmakers must know and accept that science serves every one of us, every citizen of every nation and society. Science must shape policy. Now, in the interest of full disclosure, Sigma Xi, which is the publisher of American Scientist magazine, helped to sponsor the March for Science. In part, they did so because it is in keeping with Sigma Xi's mission to enhance the health of the research enterprise, foster integrity in science and engineering, and promote the public's understanding of science for the purpose of improving the human condition. So, to do that more effectively in the future, executive editor and Sigma Xi member Fanilla Saunders says, involve more kids. First of all, I felt like it made the whole thing a lot more approachable for people. Well, you know, you don't have to just come. You can come and bring your kids and there's going to be all these activities. And it, I think it made it seem a lot more relevant in ways to people's lives and also a little less scary because a, a political march can be sort of a scary, off-putting thing for people. You think about, you know, oh, there's going to be all those police here and there's going to be all these protesters here and what's going to happen. And I think if you bring it into terms of, well, this is really just like a, a kids festival in a way that helps to draw in some aspect of the population that might not have felt comfortable being there otherwise. So I think that's definitely something to keep in mind when you're creating activities like this. So some of the satellite marches are great case studies to look at how they drew in more diverse crowds. Again, Katie Burke, who attended the march in Blacksburg, Virginia. Afterward, she was approached by a stranger who saw the sign she had carried and asked her about it. I think the point of a march is to get attention on an issue and that uh, the fact that the way that this guy heard about the march was from people he knew who were going, that has such a big impact. You know, I, I think his sort of feeling was, why do people feel that science is under attack? And and I was kind of like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> let's talk. <laughs> and involving people everywhere, a success of the science march was a lesson learned, too. So in organizing, don't just make it about one march in one centralized location, but have many marches everywhere. By one count, there were some 600 science marches around the world. In more rural areas, a lot of people just are, are in a different bubble. And so these the fact that there were so many people from all over the states who were participating and standing up and having smaller marches or traveling all the way to D.C. or New York or Boston to go to some of these, or L.A. or San Francisco to go to some of these marches, you know, is super important uh, because then people pay attention more because they're like, oh, this isn't just some crazy people on the news. This is like somebody I know, uh, and I know they're not crazy, and I know they're not, you know, super liberal or super, you know, um, radical or anything. And if they didn't understand why, they were trying to understand why. Because science is dealing with many of the challenges that uh, the rest of the country is dealing with across the board, whether it's you know minority participation or exclusion, uh, women's issues, whether it's thinking about um, benefits of a job or or pay or um, you know how I'm going to advance my career. The messaging from the march is still continuing on social media and it's received some pretty heavy criticism as well as praise. And I wondered if you think that the march had the effect that we wanted it to have. Well, I don't think that the march um, overall 
suffered from the very necessary discussions that were being had in social media. I think that it was reflective of what's happening in the broader research community that uh, you know there are people who feel like they're being underserved, underrepresented by sort of the establishment of science. And, and so to have those conversations while we're also celebrating the benefits that come out of science is healthy. It shows that we're willing to, to deal with these problems head on, even while we know that there are benefits coming out of the work that we do. And so we have a lot of work to do in terms of fixing the institutional challenges, but the overall enterprise is producing uh, great benefits to society. But Jamie, you know, we had some members who definitely weren't happy about us being involved in the March for Science, who felt that it was somehow politicizing science and was, you know, sort of distracting from the enterprise of science itself. So how do we get this message across to those members and make them not feel alienated by this kind of activism? Because Sigma Xi is, an, is a nonprofit, 501c3, we don't lobby for specific pieces of legislation. What we try to do is educate the public as well as our policymakers on the value of science. But what we would like for the, the policymakers to do is to say, science tells us there's a problem. We need to work together to come up with a solution. And that, I think, is less alienating to our members who view um, any kind of policy commentary to be partisan. Science has a lot of social capital. Nobody wants to be associated with attacking science. Everybody wants to be associated with supporting science and having science on their side because it has a lot of social capital and social power. And so uh, uh, because it's respected and it has an, an air of, of authority, and we need to make sure that we're using that uh, social power and authority well. And we need to make sure that, um, you know, even as scientists feel like they're losing, losing power, losing trust, uh, that they actually still have a lot of power and trust. And they need to think about how to use, we all need to think about how to use that well. That was Katie Burke, Jamie Vernon, and Fenella Saunders, three of our editors talking about their experiences with the March for Science and the next steps going forward. We'll exit with music you heard earlier, the I Can't Keep Quiet anthem from the Women's March by Milk, and sung flash mob style with members of the GW Sirens and Capital Blend at the march itself. This rendition went viral, captured by filmmaker Alma Harrell. been listening to a podcast from American Scientist magazine, published by Sigma Xi, the Scientific Research Honor Society. I'm Robert Frederick. Thank you for joining us.